0: Will you open your Bible with me, please, to First Samuel? We're going to look in chapter 28. First Samuel 28. <clears throat> we started school this week, my kiddos. I have five now, and we're really blessed, and they are wonderful and they're doing great. And also, uh, they're tiring. <laughs> and they are tiring. Yesterday, we went into our foray of beginning sports schedules, which I know many of you have done before. Um, My oldest, Nora, is playing volleyball with her third grade team, third and fourth graders. No, second and third graders, Some are in there. Anyway, she's playing volleyball, and she's very excited about it. They won their first game yesterday. It was super exciting. Great time. My uh, kindergartner, or excuse me, first grader, is playing soccer on the first and second grade team, and so he's had his first game yesterday and did a great job and it was really fun, they tied. And then my uh, preschooler, he is also on the preschool kindergarten soccer team and they had their first game yesterday. And so we just ran all over the place at different times. And the volleyball game started late, so I had to take Benjamin to his game in the middle of the volleyball game and man, it is, it is not a blessing. <laughs> that part is not a blessing. All the pictures and, the, you know, especially the pre-K soccer is just a herd, just following the ball around. It's fantastic. We had a fantastic time. But, man, it's tiring. Oh, all that stuff. And they want to just practice all the time, slash wrestle. My little my three-year-old came up to me and she goes, Daddy, I have a secret. I have a secret. Come here. So I leaned down and she goes, After this, can we wrestle? <laughs> sure, baby. <laughs> So we're practicing volleyball, practicing soccer, wrestling. It's great. We're doing it all. The Lord is with us. But boy, it is tiring. It is tiring nowadays to try to keep a very busy schedule. Um, as I talk to people encounter them on the street, my very favorite question to ask people is, how are you doing? It's kind of what I, that's what I do. It's part of my personality. And as I ask people that, uh, you won't be surprised that the number one response I get is busy. Busy. Everybody all the time. How are you? Busy. I'm so Busy. Um, Or if it's a service industry person, I'll say, how how are you today? And they either say, wow, thanks for asking me that. Or they say, I have 15 minutes left. Or I'm great because I just started, to one of those responses. But everybody says they're busy because we are busy. Not only are we busy, quite honestly, we are inundated with information from everywhere. The radio is not neutral. Television is not neutral. Friends are not neutral. Information is not neutral. It wants you to act, it wants you to do something, and we are living in an unprecedented time where you can have information all the time. You can have information overload where you are listening to the radio or some podcast or something on one device, you are scanning the internet with another device, and you're watching TV all at the same time, and we all do those kind of things, and it's a lot of stuff, and it makes us feel really busy. It makes us feel really tired. We're going to look today at the Bible of a king of Israel who uh, is a tyrant, unfortunately. He has disobeyed God. He has many times gone his own way. He has sought after his own wisdom, his own thoughts, his own desires, his own way of doing things. He has thought of God as an afterthought. Uh, When he needs God's blessing, he's come to God and tried to receive it, but often in an unfaithful kind of way. And when he has told specific things to do, he disobeys. His name is Saul. He's the first king of Israel. And he uh, has been told by God through a prophet that the kingdom is going to be taken away from him in his dynasty and given now to one of the generals in the army whose name is David. David will end up being really the greatest king that Israel has. And so Saul is trying to do everything he can to reverse that. And at this time, uh, the Philistines, which is another country that's nearby, uh, another people group are coming in, and they're attacking and fighting with the Israelites. And so Saul is trying to pull together his troops, minus David's little army, because he's one of the generals. And he's trying to start defending against the Philistines. Well, it's not going well. And so he's going to do something drastic in 1 Samuel chapter 28, and it's not going to go great. And so let's read that story together. 1 Samuel chapter 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men will go out with me in the army. Oh, I started at the wrong place. I'm sorry. Well, we'll just go with it. first 2. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know that, that your ser- all that your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now David is, just as an aside, running. He's actually fleeing Saul who was chasing him. He ends up working sort of with the Philistines for a little bit undercover. That's what that's about. Starting in verse 3 now. Now Samuel had died. He was the prophet in Israel. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by the Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor, different than the Star Wars Endor. Verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, divine for me a spirit, and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me, who was the prophet who had died. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed down with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring, warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers, and, does, and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what to do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask of me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done as he spoke to you by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you today. Moreover, the Lord will give you also into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel into the hand of of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once at length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. Praise the Lord for his word. It's a rough story, isn't it? Here's the king of Israel. Now, there's a few things in the story that are alarming. First of all, it is against the law in Israel to go to mediums and necromancers. Do you know what I mean when I say those words? People who are doing things in spiritual realms outside of the Lord. It's against the law. And in particular, people who can try to contact the dead, necromancers, or bring people back to life, or things like this. Now, we don't usually talk about these things a lot in our society. We sort of don't believe that those things can happen. Uh, There is a spiritual dimension outside of us. And there's power in things that happen all the time. And some people have abilities to do things. This is not of God, though. And so the Israelites were forbidden to go and try to receive wisdom from these kind of things. Um, You know, we try to do this stuff all the time in our society still with horoscopes and all kind of things. And, you know, there's, there's big business to be made through this kind of stuff still, even if we believe it's just illusion nowadays. Same kind of thing happened then. There was big business. And so Saul, as the king, was faithful to the word of God in that he totally pushed out all the mediums and necromancers and all these people out of the land. So it's interesting now that he's trying to find one, and there's one still pretty well known. Do you remember what her reaction was when she realized that this was Saul who was actually in there with her? She was convinced he was going to kill her. And rightfully so, because that's what the punishment was for these things and what he had been doing. And so this is a, this is a wild story of a guy who has turned completely 180. What do you think would drive a person to such lengths? Desperation. Desperation. He's terrified. He sees these armies around him, and he does not know what to do. Sometimes when we don't know what to do, we go to great lengths to find things out, don't we? Nowadays, we can find out information really quickly. We can look on our phone on one hand, our tablet on the other, the radio going, and watch television, and we can try to find things out. It's interesting to me, I had a, a, a time with some guys once, and it was a bunch of professional men around the table. This was several years ago from the church. And we were all sitting together and I asked the question, I said, who, who of us, if we were to, to do something in the banking world, how would you find out about those things? What would you do? And everybody said, oh, I like this website, I like this website, I like this thing. I found out about this you know, training seminar that you can do, this webinar deal and nobody said I would call the banker who was sitting with us, not one person. And it was interesting how much our culture has changed now where if we need to find something out, the first thing that we do, even if it's a recommendation to us, the first thing we do is go online. Um, I had a friend coming in to visit uh, the area and he was from downtown, and, or excuse me, from another city and he was going downtown and he said, what's a great Italian, you're Italian, right? What's a great Italian restaurant? I said, my family really likes Canettos, House of Pasta on the Hill. He said, oh, Canettos, how do you spell that? So I told him, and he immediately got out his phone and looked up all the Yelp reviews. I was like, why did you ask me? Is my review not as good as those reviews of the strangers? And he was like, well, I didn't mean anything by it. I said, well, you're standing in front of me, man. I told you, my family goes to Canettos. That's all you need to know. Go there, Thursday night, that's the night. Say hi to Frank. Yeah. But it was more, there was more validity in how many stars it got on Yelp than what a friend actually said. Do we believe that still? What's really interesting here is Saul has failed. He's already been told that the kingdom is being taken from him. He is a failure as a king already. He has already basically come against God. He has disobeyed. He's done all kind of bad things. And yet he tries real hard to do it right. He goes to the prophets and asks... What does the Lord say? He's praying. He's inquiring. Nothing's happening. That funny Urim word, it says he he went to the prophets, he went to Urim as part of the priesthood. So he goes to the priests. Hey, what priest, what does the Lord say? Silence. He tries to sleep for a while and get some dreams. No dreams come. He's trying everything he can do. He's getting nothing. And so in his desperation, he says, I'm going to find somebody who can contact the dead prophet who spoke against me. Maybe he'll say something favorable. And it's so... It's so incredible. The whole reason he does this is because he just doesn't know what to do. That's it. He just does not know what to do. You know, what's interesting sometimes as I think about my own life. I've had lots of times where I don't know what to do. I've never consulted a medium, thankfully. But in all those times I don't know what to do, I find that I start to, not like Saul, um, I don't go and seek out the mediums or whatever, but I do start like him to have lots of activity because surely if I do a lot, God will hear me or see it or change things. So if I fast and I pray and I get up early and I start going to the gym again and I love my wife extra well and I really do all the dishes and I have a good attitude and I'm nice to that one barista that's always mean to me and I do all those things, maybe the Lord will give me some revelation. And if that doesn't work, I'll definitely look at Google. And if Google doesn't tell anything, maybe Siri knows something. And if Siri doesn't know anything, then I'll just start you know, maybe Bing, I guess. Why not? Or Yahoo, and we'll see what happens. And so I'm going to consult things. And I find myself becoming really, 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 really busy at trying to figure things out. And not only busy in an educational knowledge kind of sense as I'm looking on the internet, but those other things are wearing me down. Because I'm trying really hard to make a good impression on God. In fact, as I'm doing that, the last thing I'm going to do probably is call somebody. and say, what do you think? Will you pray with me? What are your thoughts? In fact, a lot of times I determine that the old way of doing things really is not working anymore. And so I need to do something entirely new. Um, I think this is the model, and if you're in this, Dave Ramsey even says it's great, so I'm not speaking against direct sales. But I think this is the, the catch of direct sales businesses. You can start 15 of them. Well, this didn't make money for me, so I'll, just, I'll try this one. Next thing you know, you're invested into so many companies, you can't even keep it straight. And you have 15 websites to your name, and you don't even know what one product you're selling anymore because you're just invested in all kinds of stuff. And you know what? I'm telling you right now, again, direct sales businesses, praise the Lord for those. Those are not bad. What I'm telling you is there's a pull of our culture to do more to invest yourself more, to try more. Those things don't work anymore, and God's not speaking to you through them. So find another means. And that's the same thing that Saul falls into. Here's the good news. You are not the king or the queen of Israel. You are not. Saul is different than you are. He is in serious trouble, and he's going to die in this battle, and his whole family line, except for one person, is going to die through this battle, basically. That's about to come with the Philistines because he's being judged by God, but he's the king of the nation who's supposed to be leading the people into righteousness, peace and joy and refuses to do so. You are not Saul. That's good news for us because we're in a different place than he is. And yet the heart attitude of Saul is in all of us where we just need to hear from God. And so we're trying so fervently to hear from God that we invest 10 hours on the internet to find out what it says to us, because surely God will give me something. And then we're wondering, why don't these means work anymore? Why is it that these things don't happen for me? Why doesn't this knowledge just come to me? Why don't I just find the smooth way to go? Lord, why do you make it so hard for me? And the reality is sometimes the hard work and the slow work of coming to God and trusting him and looking to him and prayer and coming to the word and thinking about what he wants, sometimes those things are not the expedient thing that we want to do. It's not the get-rich-quick business that we want. We want that. I want the drive-through. And I'm telling you right now, I want the drive-through. I know you do too. It's way easier, isn't it? Have you ever unloaded five kids to go into Culver's? God help us. Just to get ice cream? It takes forever. And then they have to decide, oh, Lord, help us. But we apply that same thinking to businesses, to life, to marriages. God help us. To all our decisions. Because it's not the expedient thing that our culture does anymore. To actually come to God, to think about his way, to come before him. It's not fashionable. It's not quick. Do you know why it's not quick? Because God is concerned about way more than that one decision. You understand the God who has commissioned Saul is forging Israel into a nation that would represent him and his kingdom rule in the world. It was meant to be the greatest dynasty of all time to demonstrate what God's rule looks like on earth. It was supposed to be the place where if you were a sojourner, if you were an immigrant, if you came and said, I want to be a part, you would know restoration and peace and grace. You would be given a chance. You would come into the community. It would be unbelievable for you. It was going to be a place where everywhere you went, there was going to be peace. There was going to be righteousness. You know, it was against the law, against the law, not to have a fence around your roof. Just in case somebody went up there, if they would fall off, God forbid, God forbid somebody would fall off the roof and get hurt. And so you have to have, according to God's law, a fence around your roof, different than our roofs. It'd be like a patio for us, just in case somebody would fall. Because that's how this culture was supposed to esteem people as God's creation, that they would be esteemed as special to him. And instead you have Saul who has made the people become his servants, who believes that he's special in his own eyes, who's looking for his own business, his own way, his own dynasty. He wants his own reputation. And it leads him into such folly that even the whole nation becomes judged. And his Answer to that is to try to go outside of God's means to find a good answer. Outside of God's natural way so that he can get the quick fix. It astounds me how quickly my heart turns to that same thing. That I want the quick fix. I want the, I want the results. I want to see God move in ways that he doesn't do with other people. And it also astounds me. How long God's vision is. Did you know that God uses three things as his primary sanctifying tools? Really, well, four things. The church, your your relationship with other people, uses that to sanctify you. So when there's somebody in your life you really don't like, a thorn in your side, a pebble in your shoe, man, God uses that to change you, doesn't He? Because He says, put a fence around your heart, don't let them fall off and get hurt. Watch your tongue. Oh man, come on, Lord. Why would you do that to me? And that's what God does. God uses marriage. He uses marriage to expose your selfishness. He uses marriage to show you what it means to serve somebody the way that he loves people. That you are going to be committed and faithful for life no matter what. And you're going to give them everything and expect nothing in return. And man, sometimes it's like, why did you do this to me? Except for me because my wife is perfect. I never have that problem. And God uses children to show you little versions of yourself. (laughs) Or how you love other people, really love other people. If you don't have any kids, maybe you're a teenager, you don't have any kids, and then you babysit for the first time and you want to pull your hair out, and all of a sudden you realize in your own heart, here's a child. Why am I angry with this child? Have you ever been angry with a child? And then suddenly you look at yourself and you're like, wow, what? What is this in me? Why I, I remember, I mean, I was 13 babysitting kids all day alone for 20 bucks. You guys don't know how good you have it. <laughs> I'm serious, 8, 10, 12 hours, all day my neighbor's, my neighbor's uh, kids. And I'd have them hours and hours, wee little tiny, excuse me, uh, hours of the morning they'd get back. And they'd throw me $20. And I did everything, cleaned their house, took care of the kids. I did everything. And the kid, five-year-old little boy, had his own television, his own VHS player at the time was high technology. He had his own Nintendo, five years old, in his room, and no bedtime. No bedtime, and could eat whatever he wanted. So I got in, I'm like, no candy. And he's, man, he was not happy with me. I I remember one time I was watching the kids, and it was like one in the morning. And uh, no, it was more like dinner time. Anyway, I'm feeding the kid dinner, I think and uh, the basement door starts moving, and I was like, oh my, like, what's happening? And it's shaking, like, hard, and I thought, oh, that's not good. And so I'm watching, because that's, I don't know why, that's the, (laughs) I'm I'm safe if I do this. (laughs) I'm watching, and the little boy jumps up, and he goes, goes, ha-ha, visitor, and goes to open the door. And I was like, no, stop, what are you doing? And before I could get it all out, he's opening the door. And the biggest cat, laziest cat you've ever seen in your life, comes up from the basement. I didn't know they had any pets. Comes up from the basement. And so I breathe a giant sigh of relief, first of all. But then this giant cat is just trying to get in the dinner. It was awful. It was ridiculous. I had a heart attack, and then, oh, it was awful. But I got $20, praise the Lord. But I remember I was so angry at that kid. I was so angry. How do you not know? Why, why don't you tell me there's a cat? He's five. He doesn't know. He's five. And I was so angry because I'm trying to deal with him like an adult. I was 13. I was a kid. And I remember that night, I finally got him to go to sleep, and he's sleeping, and it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, and I'm sitting there in front of the television, and I remember thinking to myself, like, man, what's wrong with me? Maybe you've never had an experience like that. Maybe your experience will come. It comes out of your heart. There's things in you that God did not put there. Sin is there. And the Lord roots it out because he will not have it in his temple. God uses kids. When they're your own kids, you see little versions of yourself. And you look at them and you love them so much, and you just need a break from them too. Isn't that weird? That's weird. I'm just being real with you. And then they do something, or they say something, or they pull an attitude, or they lie so easily. So, I mean, so easy, like it's nothing. She's lying straight to your face. And you're looking at them like, Did I treat my parents this way? I didn't. What's wrong with you? <laughs> but you look at them and you see every part of you. Every part of you. And the Lord goes, I still loved you. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? So Saul fails. He tries to find everything else. He tries every other means of determining God's will except just coming to God. And I want to tell you some great news today. And Here's the great news. We have a king better than Saul. See, Saul failed in every way. He was such a failure. He was a gigantic failure, just like we are. But God sent another king, and that king would come And he would be one who wouldn't need to try to go any other means to find God's will because he is God. And the son, forever the second person of the Trinity, became a man on our behalf. Actually in the royal line. He really is physically the king. But he also is fully man and fully God. So he really is the king. And he came down and he knows the very heartbeat of God. And do you know what the heartbeat of God is? It's that not one of the father's lambs would be lost. And so he came as a shepherd to a people who were just as broken as Saul, just as ridiculous as Saul, finding every other means, going every other way. And the shepherd came listening to the father's will that every person the father named would not be lost, but would be redeemed. And that will was so strong that it even sent Jesus Christ to the cross for us that he would not need to consult the dead. He would not need to try to find a way to win the battle because the only way to win the battle was to lose the battle. And so he would go to the cross for us. He would suffer the wrath of God against all of our sin. He would take the punishment of God for everything that we had done, looking even into the future for all the times when we trust Google more than we trust him, when we trust stinking banking statements, more than we trust God. When we look ahead into all the thoughts of things that we can do in the parenting books and the future legacies that we hope for and all the things that we put before God and say, Lord, just make it better. Just give me the drive-through. And his perfect gift for us was his own son. No drive-through meal, no brokenness. His perfect blemished blemishless lamb that he would take and put all of his wrath for all of our darkness into Jesus. The good news though is that Jesus Christ didn't stay dead. He didn't just take the punishment. He rose again. He rose to life again. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And now you have a king unlike Saul who knows all things, who has all glory, who has all power, who has all wisdom, who has a name that's better than every name, that at his name, every knee bows. And now when you say, Lord, Lord, show me what to do. I'm encircled by the Philistines. Lord, my enemy's all around me. I don't know what to do. He does not remain silent. He does not remain silent because he promised us in his word he would never leave us. He would never forsake us. He would never just... Stop talking to us because he paid the price for our disobedience. We serve a king better than Saul. We serve the king, the only king, who knows all things, who's above all things. And when we come to him, he really answers our prayers. Think about this for a a minute. How many times have you used talk to text to search for something? We've all tried it, right? I used to get text messages from my dad. Stephen, meet me Pennsylvania, 4 o'clock Forest Park. And I'd call him like, Dad, what what are you trying to say? I said, hey, uh, call your mother. She needs to talk to you. (laughs) Okay. Have you ever searched for something weird because you try to use talk for text and it goes to the wrong place or navigates the wrong way? Think about this. When you pray, God knows the intention of your heart. He knows what you're going to pray before you pray it. And he has every answer, every resource at his disposal, because he is the king of kings. We have a better king than Saul. His name is Jesus. When you feel encircled, when you feel helpless, when you feel like the old ways are not producing the results that you need, don't stop coming to God. Siri can never fill him. Google can never fill him. All of human wisdom can never fill up what he knows. The old ways feel slow, but I'm telling you, God is changing your heart to look like Him. Jesus Christ is going to make you look like His kingdom because He has a new people, a new culture, a new race who's going to come and show the world what His kingdom looks like. They're called Christians. They're every color, they're every size, they're every shape, they're every age. It's His people, and He's leading us with His wisdom. Don't forsake the old ways. Come to the Word. Say, Lord, Show me, show me what to do. I'm telling you right now, the reason for this is because my heart is so fickle. Maybe yours is not. But when a big situation comes up, when something happens, when I need an answer, I'm so quick to get on the internet. I have 40 tabs open of all my resources, all my most trusted websites, everything I need to know about everything. I'm about to ready to crash the computer because I'm trying to get all the knowledge. We need to be a people who first come to God. Lord, you are my source. I trust you. Let your heart be stable in Him. Stop trying to raise things from the dead. It's not going to help you. It's not. And the reason for that is because God wants your heart, He wants you. Come to Him first. You will find results in Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Be His child be his child, and come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me that I looked everywhere else but you. Come back to him again. Bow the knee to Jesus. Submit your life to him again. Stop thinking that your ways of finding information are better than his answers. It's not true. And instead, come to the Lord and say, Lord, lead me every moment. Lead me every day. You're before me, you're behind me, you're beside me. I trust you. And then step out with some vigor. And if you need a real answer about a real-life thing, do not forsake the relationships he's given us here. Stop looking up all the banking stuff everywhere else and not talking to a banker in the body. I'm telling you right now, if we actually did that, what would this community look like, different than the world? Because everybody is so isolated. Isn't it funny how people um, in the corporate world email everybody about everything? Not because they really want answers and they want a collective unity and everybody's good. They just want to cover themselves. Everybody knows what you did, Stan. You're the failure here. That's how it works. Right? That's how it works. What would it look like? What would it look like for a people who put real fences around our hearts? Who really help each other? Who really lift each other up? Who really serve Jesus? Isn't that good? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Father, we come before you. We say, Lord, forgive us that we thought that our technology could answer us faster or better than you. Lord, will you forgive us for times when we've tried to invent new ways or go outside of your your norm because it wasn't fast enough to try to get results that we thought might even be pleasing to you. Lord, help us, God, to, to have hearts shaped like you Lord, we want to know you. We want to serve you. We want to honor you in everything we do, God. It's our heart cry to see you glorified in our homes, glorified in our lives, glorified in our city. God, we love you. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to come to you quickly. And, Father, thank you that you really do respond to us when we pray. So, Lord, I pray that you would settle our hearts, that we wouldn't be so busy. We wouldn't be so tired that we think that we can find means other than just coming to you. Lord, we need you, you and you alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, bless my brothers and sisters today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be blessed in the knowledge of our Savior and Lord, the risen Jesus Christ. God bless you. We'll see you next week.